All right, it's time for a very special bye week Tennessee Titans talk. Guys, I'm still basking in one of our very best wins uh, at that stadium. I still can't believe it happened. I'm still seeing articles about the improbable victory and Josh Kalu getting a new cell phone because so many people were blowing him up and this and that and the other thing. It's still just surreal. And more importantly, it keeps giving us hope for the season moving forward rather than worrying about the offseason. You guys mentioned Josh Kalu. John, you said uh, on our podcast yesterday that Josh Kalu was kind of the darling of the preseason. What's his long-term fit with this team? Is he going to be a good role player for us for several years? Landon, see if you can give us a comp for what do you think uh, Josh Kalu's ceiling could be. You know, I think Kalu, I think he's got some potential on this roster. I think we're going to see him primarily on special teams with our continual due to injury on defensive secondary. I think he's going to have some opportunities to get some playing time right now he's listed as our third corner behind dory jackson and i think that's indicative of what the coaching staff thinks about him they really like him and he's a player and as you can see he's quick he's really reactive and you know he puts in the effort he studied that tape he studied their cadence and he figured it out yeah i think with kalu his ceiling could be what ty smith was a few years ago the year we went to the playoffs because if you remember we dealt with some cornerback depth issues down the stretch we had some injuries and we lost some of our starters and Ty Smith had to step in and specifically against the Jacksonville Jags at home in week 17 with the playoff spot on the line Ty Smith played great for a guy who was nothing more than a backup his whole career I think Kalu can be that guy where if he's forced to step in and he likely will have to step in given the volatility of health in the NFL he's a guy where you're not dreading him having to face the number three, number four receiver on other teams. But he's not really a guy where he's a locked-in star where you don't worry about the position. And for a guy like that who went undrafted, who there's hardly any expectations of him, if he sticks on this roster and he contributes on special teams like he has been and occasionally makes the heroic play like he did Sunday, he'll be a great player for us. I think the good teams, the teams that don't have to reload or suffer through bad seasons for a long period of time, they've got a good core. But – the really good teams, and I'll name the Ravens and Steelers over the years, they develop organizational depth at really important positions like cornerback and safety and guys they don't spend really high picks on or have to spend a lot of money on. And we, of course, at the end, before this new regime, we did a terrible job of that. And you guys remember, I think Bleedy Ray Wilson is a good person and everything, <laughs> but it was just like there are going to be injuries at that position. Like we've had now, we have Malcolm Butler out. And it's not like – Ty Smith, uh, you guys mentioned he was he was good last year when he came in, and Kalu. These guys don't have to come in and make a Pro Bowl. They just have to come in and just the bottom just cannot fall out. Uh, it's a testament to good development and a, a good scouting in the front office. That is a subtle difference I think we're seeing. These guys are going to have to perform down the stretch and, and make us not look like idiots, but I think they they definitely um, made the front office and their coaching staff look you know pretty good. Guys, let's talk about Henry. Uh, this is our bye week, so we're just going to do some housekeeping stuff we wanted to talk about, and I bet you guys are interested in, in hearing. Let's talk about Derrick Henry's contract. Uh, this guy looked really good, 188 yards on Sunday. We talked so much about him getting carries, but it's a little more complicated than that. He, we were able to get him those carries. He was the backbone of the offense, took pressure off Tannehill. Tannehill made throws when he needed to. The running back market is interesting because of the last uh, up until this season, 
these guys haven't been able to find their contracts for what they want. Le'Veon Bell got a good, not great deal. He didn't get appreciably better of a deal than he would have gotten from extension uh, with Pittsburgh. But Ezekiel Elliott and Jerry Jones have reset that market. Let's just do it as a hypothetical. If he signs a contract this week and you got big money for guessing the terms, what would you guess the year, the amount, and the guaranteed would be? I would say a three-year extension with seven and a half, eight million per year with two years of a guaranteed. So in a way, what Jerick McKinnon got with the 49ers before several catastrophic knee injuries, because Henry isn't going to get paid top dollar because he's not the most athletic or most well-rounded. All the guys who reset the market, Zeke Elliott, Le'Veon Bell, even David Johnson to an extent, they're guys who in the receiving game are just as dangerous as in the run game. And Henry, though he has shown great improvement throughout his career in the receiving game, he's nowhere close to them. Same with pass protection. So I think he'll sign for a tier below what those guys get. And $8 million, if he's this kind of Derrick Henry when our offense gets better, that's a solid value because, as we've seen, he can be the engine of an entire offense. Big fella, that sounds a little low, I think, to yeah, us. I, but Landon <clears throat> makes an excellent point about there's so many people to call in on shows and and you see on Twitter they're so upset about, why is he on third down? Why is he what? I think if this team – thought they could rely on him on third down and pass protection, I think they would have him out there, right? They're all trying to keep their jobs and consistently hasn't. I would love if you had some insight as a player as to why that hasn't developed and if that is going to affect his value because I would think based on what's happened, he'd be at a minimum four-year extension, $40 million, 24 of it guaranteed. If you look at his time on the field, he is not consistently a third down back. You know, I think a lot of things play into it. I think I think the organization is still high on Deion Lewis. They see him as a Swiss Army Knife kind of guy on third down specifically. I mean, we see constantly in two-minute drill, it's Deion Lewis back there. Third down is usually Deion Lewis. Not to say Derrick Henry can't do it, but I think they just like the quicker pass-catching running backs. And, you know, Derrick can do it. He showed us. He's used in the passing game, like with screen plays. I think the front office still likes Deion Lewis a little bit better in those situations because of his versatility, specifically as a pass-catching running back. I really think we do need to see more of Derrick Henry. I think they're trying to preserve him because he is such a physical runner. That does take a toll on your body. He's built to withstand it. It's tough to run. We all know his running style in the beginning of games. He runs right into D tackles and linebackers, and he makes them pay for wanting to tackle them so he doesn't get a a whole lot of yards uh, until later when everybody's kind of beaten down and tired and sore, and they don't want to touch that guy in the third or fourth quarter. For Derrick Henry, if I were going to say a contract, I think I might, like you said, I might be a little higher than what Landon suggested. I think I would be in line with what you were talking about, about a four-year, basically a $10 million per year if we decided to. But I don't think he's in the Zeke Elliott range, which is 15 per year average salary. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe $20 million guaranteed up the years or maybe get him at like 11, 11 or 12. I would not mind seeing him as a, kind of a, a titan for life. I think there's yeah. different ways to look at it. It's interesting because they need certain things. They're probably going to pursue a quarterback like Landis maintained in the first two rounds. I think they'll look for help on the offensive line. It's one of those things where normally I think they might be – sort of uh, shrewd with him, but they need him to come back and they don't want to use other resources uh, because it doesn't look likely that Mariota will be back. They'll have money 
and I think they might pay a little bit above market for him. He's not exactly as like that top tier. You mentioned earlier, Landon, like David Johns, guys like that. They're true three-down backs. But this is a guy that's the fifth-leading rusher in the NFL, and he is durable, and he's a good team player, and he's a hard worker. So I think he's going to get that money, and I bet they come to something here um, pretty early in the offseason. I'd expect a contract is going to happen pretty soon because Henry's a very interesting case because, like we all know, he's a guy that needs a ton of carries to really get going. In today's game, you want to pass more than you run in. Not many teams are willing to pay top dollar to a running back that they haven't invested heavily in. Like the Cowboys with Zeke Elliott, they drafted him fourth overall. They have to maintain him on their roster because they already sunk a fourth overall pick into him. And to your point about Lewis being the third down back, on our last drive to win the game, Henry was not even close to seeing the field. He's at that stage in his career where the game's on the line. You have to do a quick minute and a half drill to win the game. And your best offensive player who you're paying $10 million to can't be on the field. I wouldn't want to give him that contract because if your best player can't be on the game when you have to, when you have to cash in the chips, when the game's on the line, can he really be your best player? Uh, it'll be – you would think he could just learn to do that stuff. But it's really interesting. He's a true eyeback. I mean, he's one of those guys. He's not a spread guy. Like y'all said, he needs carries. So John made the point. Uh, he doesn't fit on every team. Now a lot of them don't run that way or aren't run first. I think this gets worked out. I think they just like him as a person, and I think he'll want to continue his career uh, here. I would be really surprised. I thought the franchise tag for next year was on the table, and I think since he's never made really big money, I think he probably would have been okay with that. But Ezekiel Elliott's number is going to kind of skew that franchise number where it's not kind of a kick-the-can-down-the-road easy number to pay. So it's going to be really interesting to see. That's a big narrative. I think just kind of here moving forward. Uh, and if Tannehill can be, continues to play well, it'll be kind of, you know, what, what he's going to come back at. And that'll be really interesting. And the other narrative is Conklin and kind of what number he's going to get and, and, and what he'll be back at. Really interesting stuff. Guys, let's talk AFC playoff picture. Really interested uh, to see where you guys think we stack up and especially kind of what we're going to have to do, what our fans need to know, kind of how it's going to need to play out and kind of what teams are going to be rooting against and what matchups are kind of most important in this next six weeks. So as of right now, we currently sit as a ninth seed. So we're in the hunt. The Patriots, Ravens as division winners. And then we have wild card race with Texans, Chiefs, Steelers, Bills, and then everybody in the hunt ahead of us is Raiders and Colts. A lot of these teams have not yet played 10 games. Unlike us, we've played 10, right. we're five and five. So this could even out a little bit as these teams play their 10th game. So if you're, if you're watching Reds on Sunday, obviously you're rooting against the Raiders, who we play, the Texans, who we play twice, and the Colts, of course, who, who we play later on. And we kind of control our own destiny in a way, although we're, like you said, we're not in the playoff picture as of today. <laughs> we play these teams, Landon, and we're a bit of a different team than we were, you know, a month ago. For you, uh, you've mentioned aptly that, you feel like us having most of our division games here down the stretch is really going to put a lot of this kind of on us to win those division games, right? Yeah, I mean, we have one game versus the NFC left, which is against the Saints. So pretty much that's the only game where losing would hurt the least because every AFC game now is valuable. Tiebreakers are head-to-head, and for the division, it's division record. For the wild card, it will also go to AFC record versus AFC opponents. 
if we lose any game to any AFC team, is doubly bad because not only do we get that loss, it also hurts our tie-breaking chances in the event we tie with a few. With the way the division is set up down the stretch, we play four division games in our last seven games, including Houston twice in the past in the last three weeks, which I still don't get why that's a thing. <laughs> we really do control our own destiny because the Colts are one game ahead of us. We beat them. We're in line with them. The Texans are two games ahead of us. We beat them twice. We're in line with them. So well, more importantly, we beat them. Game. We're talking division at that point yep. more than yep. just you know wild card. It's a really tough stretch, but we certainly control our own destiny. Where we win ten games, we, there's a good shot at the division now. Ten games is likely not going to happen, but it's not out of the question, and that's good because as long as there's a chance at the division where we control the playoff odds for us. That's good because the worst thing is to be stuck behind the eight ball where you're just hoping like the Bills did a few years ago for for the Bengals to beat the Ravens in a meaningless game. Well, we've been through that kind of stuff the last three years and it worked out for us one year, but I don't want to be there. And um, yeah, even beyond how it stacks up now, just historically speaking, if we go five and one and that's a tall order, we go five and one, we're 10 and six. We have a 90 percent chance mathematically to be in based on history. If we go four and two, also not bad. We're going to be like you just described. We're going to be probably praying for a miracle or something, right? We'll have maybe a 40% chance of getting in, so a good chance. But obviously, we've only done that one out of three years. So, big fella, ultimately, the way I look at it, it's five and one for a slam dunk. It's four and two for a maybe. And that, that's kind of where we're at. You're pretty spot on. And, you know, I think we go five and one. We're, talk- we're still talking division. The Texans, they have a pretty tough schedule ahead of them. The Texans, they have a really tough schedule remaining. They are at the Ravens. They're home for the Colts and Patriots and the Broncos and then us twice and the Bucks. So that's no cakewalk. Also, one thing I don't really like, the Raiders being in front of us. They have not a super difficult schedule. The Bengals, the Jets, the Broncos, the Jaguars, and the Chargers. Also have us and the Chiefs, which are difficult outs for them. They don't have as tough of a road ahead of them, so... It just makes us winning down the stretch that much more important. Landon, or, or Big Fella and I, too, optimistic to think that we could contend for the division because maybe this win and maybe Tannehill's 3-1 three, three record has made me think, we, we can win this division. We could beat Houston twice. I think it's optimistic, like you say. It comes down to the division games, pretty much. And we've had a tough stretch, but like we talked about yesterday, if we can beat the Chiefs without four of our best players not even playing in the game, I don't see why we can't beat this upcoming stretch and go four and two. Four wins out of six isn't easy, but that gives us a shot at the playoffs. Five and one is great. Six and oh somehow, we'd be looking dangerous. This upcoming stretch of obviously it's November, it's starting to get cold weather, games get gritty and tough. Those are the games that we win. Those are the games that we love to play, and especially with Derrick Henry getting better each and every year. This is a time when his physical play style his ability just to dominate defenses really comes out to play because we have several games. I believe it's four of the last seven games are outdoor games. It's going to be cold. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be tough and gritty. And those are the games this franchise has always loved to play. I think we're built to be a cold weather team. We're built to win ugly. And I think the colder it gets, the better we get. I'll give you exhibit A of the Kansas City playoff win two years ago. If you pencil in Buffalo, as a playoff team, and they sit at six and three. If you pencil them in, it, it makes it tough sledding for any wild card team 
uh, if we if we happen to not be able to to win the division. I for one think they could go on a nosedive here. I respect what they're doing, their coaching staff. I don't think they have the offensive weaponry. I know they beat us. We all know that game was we every Titans fan would want to run that game back. All due respect to their excellent defense and grit. But I could see Buffalo kind of going on a tailspin here. What is that? Is that wishful thinking on my part? No, I was actually going to point that out because they lost to a very poor Browns team. The Browns did not play well, but they still found a way to beat the Bills because of the division they're in. They play the Dolphins, but they've got some tough teams down the stretch. They have to go to Dallas. Then they're home for Baltimore. Then they go to Pittsburgh. Those are not easy wins. And then they have to go to Foxborough to play the Patriots. So I think they could they could realistically tank, not tank, but they could nosedive. And we see it every year. A team that starts off with a 6-2 and two record, they're one of the ones that usually about midseason, they, they kind of plateau, and then they start to get injuries, and then they start to play poorly. And I think they are a great candidate to, like you said, take a nosedive and um, find their way out of the playoffs. Based on that schedule and based on that limited offense, I agree with Bigfoot. I think they're the best candidate to do so. What do you think? I think they are just because they're really the only clear wild card team that's out there right now because it's them at six and three. Then it's a bunch of five win teams that are just clustered together. I feel like when there's four or five teams that all have five wins, to say one of them is going to plateau or fizzle out is just, it's just a no duh thing. Of course it's going to happen, but. I was a believer in Buffalo early. I thought if they had won this Cleveland game, I would have felt much better about their playoff chances at 7-2. and two. So far, they've won the games they're supposed to win. They haven't played the hardest schedule in the world, and their schedule gets really tough. And Josh Allen still hasn't looked that great. And I think at this point in the season, your quarterback's got to come out and play in the passing game. I still have my doubts about him doing that. And like John said, they play – some tough teams down the stretch, some really good defenses. I think Allen could certainly get exposed. Oh, man, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think last year Josh Allen played well and played this team to victories, and you know, because teams couldn't figure him out. They didn't know if he was going to chuck the long ball or if he was going to run all over the field. I think teams have figured him out this year. They don't have oh, as many receiving threats. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. And when he plays poorly, their lack of depth everywhere else shows itself. I mean, when your best receiver is a combination of John Brown and Cole Beasley, you're in a little trouble. Well, and his playing poorly isn't like Mariota's playing poorly was like he couldn't hit anybody. His playing poorly is three interceptions and a fumble. Right. This next six games for us guys is going to be really interesting because we have so many opportunities. You guys mentioned how it is interesting that over the last several years or decade or so, the NFL has, I think, pushed a lot of these division games back towards the end of the season. I think they've done that to make them more relevant. And I think they love these Week 17 play-in games, right? It's like an extra week of the playoffs, like oh, yeah. we had last season. Essentially, what we've done the last two seasons, we've had play-in games for the playoffs. I think the NFL loves that. I think that's strategic. And because of that, we have really important, four really important games in our last six. We have to get the monkey off our back against Indianapolis, right? That's big. And you know what else we're going to have to do? We're going to have to beat Jacksonville. And uh, easier said than done, I think. We have owned them like Indianapolis has owned us generally. But Foles is, uh, is a magical little creature down there, and he's <laughs> back. It's going to be interesting to see this week on our off week, being able to watch him and, and see 
uh, how he looks coming back from injury. Because uh, for me, I think we're a bit of a dark horse, but we've gone three and one. We've had a quarterback change. We have a good defense. I think everybody in the AFC is aware of us, even though we're not in the picture currently. Jacksonville has their shot, though, too, right? Yeah, I think so. They're four and five right now. Assuming they would win this weekend against Indianapolis, they'll be five and five. They'll be back to that cluster of teams that are a tier below Buffalo currently where everyone's jostling for a position for the wild card. If they win and they get back into this big group, they're certainly in contention because all it takes is they get hot, they get a few lucky wins, a few balls bounce their way, and they get a few wins that maybe they shouldn't have. And they're right in the playoffs. The division, I'm not sure, but just because Houston has a three-win lead on them, but a wild card is certainly in contention, especially with the sixth wild card by being so up in the air. Is the team that embarrassed us earlier in the season. They could very well do that again. Obviously, they don't have Jalen Ramsey available anymore. But like you said, Nick Foles is the magic man. I've I've seen him win some games where it was against all odds, and, and he just has this air about him that pretty crazy things and. You never know. It, it, they could they could be a, a much better team with him. I expect them to be a better team with him. I expect his veteran leadership to kind of carry that offense a little bit, unlike Blake Bortles, you know, over the years, or Gardner Minshew. And he didn't have as much. He didn't have any veteran leadership, but he he had that swagger about him. So I I expect the I expect them to be a little bit more reserved, possibly a little bit more dangerous. The good thing is we play them here. In Nashville, exactly what I was going to say, yeah, and they have not fared well in Nashville. We can pretty um, well put them to bed in ten days if we want, and I yeah. hope that we do. And we have historically done that. I don't dislike the heart of that team, and they've got a good, dangerous defense. And you make a great point about Bortles is a difference. No offense to him, but Minshew was total heart, but he's a rookie, six round pick. Uh, Foles, uh, he's kind of the ideal guy for them, but we'll just see if they can put it together. And they're going to have to put it together Sunday, and then they're going to have to come to Nashville kind of beat their big nemesis. So we'll at least solve that mystery pretty quick. A lot of really good storylines. This has been an excellent season. You know, this time last year, we were still talking about the kneeling stuff and, and dipping ratings and all that stuff. I think the NFL's kind of got the off their back. But for you guys, what's been the biggest storylines and what has been the biggest surprises for you as uh, this season so far? I think the biggest player storyline so far has to be Lamar Jackson because even as maybe his biggest fan, I was never expecting him to do what he's doing this season, especially in his second year. They're seven and two. They're at the top of the division. They're a top two seed. He's playing at an MVP level. He's going to break Michael Vick's quarterback rushing yards record for a season. He's actually been the most fun quarterback to watch this season. Big fellow, they've done a great job in Baltimore of building the game plan around him and on the fly kind of building that roster around him, right? They have, and um, I was listening to an interview with Matt Judon, one of their uh, linebackers, on the way home from work today. I was just sitting there listening to them talk, and very quietly, you know, they started off really slow on defense this year, but they made the additions to get Marcus Peters, and he's played incredible the last couple weeks. And then they get Jimmy Smith, Jimmy Smith back from injury, and then you got guys like Matt Judon, you know, and they have they have sacks coming from all over the field, all different kind of players. And, I mean, I guess having a pulse on the, the Ravens for so long and knowing how that organization runs, it doesn't surprise me that they have a great defense and it's getting better as the season goes on. But at the beginning of the season, I thought it was Landon talked about. I thought it was just going to be the Lamar Jackson show. And they were going to be in this kind of same bubble as Kansas City where 
they have this explosive offense, but they might not be able to stop people turning into this like well-rounded team. And it kind of scares me a little bit. I don't want to play them in, especially in Baltimore, <laughs> but ain't uh, no way going to want to play them in Baltimore. Yeah. You talk about us being a cold weather team. They're going to be now Lamar Jackson. We're pretty bad against the chargers in his first playoff action last year. I expect that young man to just be ready for January. I oh, would yeah. say big fellow for you, your biggest surprise, your, your, your favorite storyline in the first 10 weeks of our season. I wouldn't say it's my favorite storyline, but one I'm probably the most surprised about is the NFC West. The San Francisco 49ers looking like world beaters. A couple weeks ago, they got even better when they got when they traded for Emmanuel Sanders. And I didn't see that one coming. I just think they're an incredibly well-rounded team, and they've got a really great defense. You know, we've seen them draft their defensive line repeatedly, and that is easily the strength of that team. Bosa, you've got Solomon Thomas, DeForest Buckner. Eric Armstead. I mean, you just go down the list and it's just like, wow, they're all studs and started off kind of slow. And Russell Wilson just continues to impress everybody who watches him easily. My front runner for the MVP race. And then the Rams who we kind of expected to, to be world beaters again, they're kind of just floating around the middle. They're currently in the hunt for a wild card at five and four, you know, can't figure out Todd Gurley and their receivers have taken a, a hit and their defense has shipped some players off and you know they get Ramsey so I think that's interesting and then the Cardinals with Kyler Murray there are times where they look really good but then there are times they look really bad so they're a hard team to figure out but I think that NFC West NFC West race is something that intrigues me and I'm kind of surprised at how it's taking form. I think that's well said even the bottom of that division has not been so bad and and they made some interesting decisions, uh, you know, in, in coaching and all that. But so far, they've been not a bad team. And I think we we were given them a pass for being one. They're not loaded with talent. They have definitely been interesting to watch. Seattle looks to me like that sneaky Super Bowl team. Russell Wilson is at the height of his powers. And they've kind of rebuilt kind of what made them good, that pass rush and other things come along. We'll see how they develop. But for me, uh, I think that they could be a really dangerous team in January. Obviously, San Francisco can. San Francisco reminds me of Chicago in the last few years. They drafted defensive players. Man, they're okay. And then, you know, Bosa's been there six months. He's their best defensive player. He makes Buckner and all those guys look like they you thought they were going to look when they got drafted. Uh, Khalil Mack did the exact same thing. Normally, you guys know me. I don't like throwing people in the conversation with Khalil Mack. But Landon – Bosa deserves that, doesn't he? I mean, absolutely. There's a reason he's a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate. Not defensive rookie of the year, but defensive player of the year. He's already an all-pro level pass rusher. He's great against the run. He's been able to force turnovers, especially that crazy interception against the Panthers. He's doing this all as a rookie. Nick Bosa is leading a defense that in most years would be seen as a great defense, but... With the Patriots' defense, they're not quite as dominant as they should be. That talent has sort of accumulated and aggregated to where they're a really good team. Now, I've told you all before on the podcast, hey, call me in, in two months with them. I don't know that they're Super Bowl ready yet, but they are very well-schemed on offense. We all knew they would be. And you couple that with some talent on defense and a quarterback who I don't think he's a, a top-five guy, but I think all he needs is about a top-12 guy, and that's what he's been. But he's going to be put on the spot, and he's going to have to win them a game here soon. 
And uh, I'm going to be really interested to see how that goes. But it's a talented, well-coached team, no doubt. All right, that's going to do it for part one of our bye week podcast. We're going to come back with you with part two, which is going to be Landon discussing his top five draft-eligible quarterbacks in college football this year. A lot of really interesting conversation. Uh, These guys are going to be on our radar, and this team has kept us in the playoff hunt. So it's going to be interesting, but there will be a time when we'll be talking quarterbacks, we'll be talking drafts. So I want to go ahead and give you guys a sneak peek of what Landon has seen thus far in the college football season. Tighten up.